What's going on, everyone? You're listening to the Dapper Villains Podcast. As always, I am Dana Blue, and I am joined by my co-host, the one, the only, Jay Such Dave. Jay, what's going on, brother? I'm very good, brother. I'm ready to do this show. Yeah, you're looking a little tired. You sure? You have some coffee? <laughs> no, I, I, I don't want to be up till five, so no coffee. <laughs> Guys, before we get into our amazing guest, Scott Adams, today, do not forget to subscribe to the podcast, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Speaker, anywhere you can find podcasts, we're there. We also have the YouTube channel where we put out a ton of extra content and our Instagram, Dapper Villains on everything. You can't miss it and you don't want to miss any of the new content we have coming out. With that said, great to our guest today, Scott Adams, the creator of Dilbert, a comic strip that I grew up on that probably heavily influenced me becoming an engineer for the amount of time I did and then quitting being an engineer and moving across the world. Scott, thank you for taking the time to join Dapper Jones Podcast. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. So before we get into Dilbert, you know, the, we talk a lot about menswear and style on this podcast. And, and a lot of times we, we get into people's background before what they did, what they're doing now. You were in finance before you, you started publishing Dilbert. Well, I was in, uh, I have an economics degree and I have an MBA, but I worked for uh, a bank first and then a technology company, a phone company. So yeah, I was always doing numbers and budgets and financial predictions. So you were kind of the pointy-haired boss. I was a pointy-haired middle manager, meaning that for a while I had, I had a few people working for me for a while, but most of the time I was just me in a cubicle with my own boss. My own boss, not the cubicle. <laughs> what, what was the what was the dress situation like in finance? Well, you know, early in the banking days, everybody had to wear suit if you were a guy. You know, it was the equivalent for women, and uh, it was like a, a gigantic thing when the idea of casual Friday came up. People didn't know how to handle it yeah. because you were allowed to dress casually, but not well. You didn't have a choice. It's like, well, here's the deal. Here's the good news and the bad news. The good news is you don't have to wear your uncomfortable suit and necktie. Isn't that great? And you're like, wow, great. The bad news is we have this new in-between style called business casual, and we guarantee that nobody looks good in business casual. <laughs> oh, you can look good in a suit, and it'll be a little uncomfortable. You can look great in your casual clothes and be comfortable, but we found the one thing that doesn't give you anything. <laughs> that, that middle ground where you just look bad and you don't feel good about yourself. That's, that's what we're going for for Casual Friday. <laughs> you know, for the, uh, the 10 plus years I worked in telecom and I was an engineer, business casual was essentially the uniform. And uh, you're right, it is not comfortable, nor does it look good, no matter how hard you try. <laughs> Yeah, it's the worst of everything, and it doesn't it doesn't make you feel uh, you know so relaxed that you work better. It doesn't make you look professional. It, it just doesn't do anything. And you know, of course, in those days, I was I was mocking the the entire trend because people were worried. It's like, what if we let people dress the you know less cat or less formally on one day a week? What will that do to our stock price? And at the time, I was thinking there could be no no less. There's probably no variable that's less correlated with your stock price than the clothing of the employees. <laughs> there's nothing. <laughs> and yeah. yeah, that was like the big the big topic. Now, did did that time as a 
in, in finance and working in for a phone company and, you know, MBA, having an MBA in that, that work environment, did the fashion and the sort of, you know, business casual Friday culture that you saw, did that influence your later thinking with how Dilbert and his coworkers would dress? Well, of course, I tried to make Dilbert dress the way, you know, the normal people dress in those times. Mm. And for years, I was bothered by the fact that I created this iconic uh, property who looked always the same. He always had his little white shirt on and his uh, little necktie upturned. And especially the upturned necktie was so basic to who Dilbert was. Mm. And then nobody was wearing a necktie, you know, for, for years. And I was like, ah. I don't know what I want to do because my character has a necktie. And finally, I just said, all right, I'm making them all casual. So several years ago, I just put them all in casual clothes and, and almost nobody noticed, oddly enough. That was, I remember the first Dilbert I saw where he didn't have, where they made that casual switch. I don't know if that was the first time I saw him without the, the shirt and necktie, but the fact that everyone was dressed different in the comic strip, like smacked me right in the face. I was yeah. like, what's what, going on? What is one of the things that I was trying to manage is that the necktie is sort of a perfect symbol of, you know, the, the boss has you in a noose. Literally there's something tied around your neck. Yeah. And, yeah. and I thought, you know, I hate to lose that because it's just so perfectly symbolic. Mm. But then I realized I could replace it with the lanyard and the ID, yeah. which, which, is, which is the next level of more humiliating. Like, <laughs> not, not only are we going to wrap something around your neck, we're going to make you put an ID on it. You know, it's just like the next level. I'm like, okay, that's perfect. I can do that. And, you know, I, I quit my job as an engineer in 2013. And one of the, the most enjoyable things for me was taking my lanyard out, throwing it on the desk when I left, and that being the last time I ever wore one. Yeah. And, you know, I remember getting, uh, you know, your, your yearly performance review. And they're like, oh, you know, we noticed that you keep your ID and your lanyard in your pocket a lot. We'd like to start seeing you wear it around your neck more to show <laughs> that you support the company and that you're proud of working here. I'm like, yeah, I have a big neck. It's very uncomfortable to wear, you know, anything. They're like, no, no, it's showing that you're part of the team. And it really is the, the noose and, and the, the ownership <laughs> sort of that they have on you. It's a, it's a brand. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the thought that you could be like a free range employee was probably just very unsettling to them. Yeah. <laughs> this guy, this guy's walking around looking any way he wants. We can't have that. Was there any, any part of um, those days where you enjoyed uh, wearing suits at all? I have to admit that there's something about wearing a suit that does give you a little bit of a superpower. And I think it adds even more if you're young. So if you're, you know, in your early 20s and you can dress like the people who hired you, that definitely gives you an advantage. I mean, that's the oldest advice in the world is dress like your boss. But it's also some of the best advice because we're such visual creatures. You, you make your entire judgment of somebody in the first three seconds. And mm -hmm. then, you know, they, they can try like for the rest of their life to change it. You, you kind of lock in pretty quickly. So if, I, if the first time you ever saw me is walking around the corner in a nice suit, that would lock in. And it wouldn't matter what I ever did after that. I'd always be that guy who walked around the corner in the nice suit. So I used it as a tool. So, you know, I would dress for the purpose of impressing my boss. I have to tell you this story. My, in my first big job in a bank, I was in the same floor as the senior vice president, you know, super important guy. I was the lowest level of employee. 
And he called me into his office one day and I was scared to death, like, cause the senior vice president doesn't call the lowest level employee. And he says, you know, he basically said that I, he thought I had some future with the company, but he was concerned about my shoes because my shoes were sort of scruffy. I like knocked them on the bottom of the desk and stuff. So the tops of them were sort of scruffed. And he was like, you know, otherwise, okay, but you really need to do something about your shoes. And I made a joke and I was like, well, you know, maybe if I had a raise, I could, I could get some shoes. And, and I'll still remember the look he gave me when I, when I made it act like it was an opportunity for a raise. He just stared at me. And he was, you he had, had to understand he was six foot eight. No, I think he was like six foot 10. I think he was six foot 10 and bearded. And he was just this like massive, intimidating guy. And he just stared at me and he just looked at me. And I was like, Okay, message received. Got to go. Back to work. <laughs> <laughs> so it didn't take me long to get new shoes. And at the time, I remember thinking, you know, that's just such small ball. Why would a senior vice president care about my choice of footwear? Hmm. Uh, but I, in the end, I think I took it more as a personal career advice because you know, as I got to know him better, he actually was helping my career in, in different ways. So I think it was just good advice, actually. Yeah, that, that's yeah, interesting that it was, like you said, good advice, but at the same time, it was, uh, do this. <laughs> yeah, yeah it, was, it wasn't exactly advice, was it? <laughs> <laughs> you were voluntold. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, Did you I, ever, I think about um, oh, Go ahead, Jay. Sorry. Uh, so... Um, did you ever dress flashy or was it always conservative? I, I always dressed to uh, not draw attention, mm-hmm. but look, you know, just cleanly professional as best I could. Now I wasn't good at it, so I've never been you know, good at dressing, but I would, I would certainly, you try to hit the, hit the mark, you know, like you, you gotta be at least this well-dressed. So I would try not to be below that, except that one time with the shoes, but I corrected that. <laughs> Okay, so like you know, in in a formal where sometimes there there's like a little rule that you break that maybe only you know or that like one gives. So for example, if it's a formal suit, you wear it with a loud tie or or maybe even a louder lining or a pocket square. Lining would be most case where you know um, you're you're totally have to dress very formal on the outside, but on the, so did you do anything like that? Before? Well, sometimes I would get creative with socks because for some reason people get real excited if you don't have the right socks on. <laughs> uh, I've noticed that, you know, and your socks, if you're a guy, your, your pants will come off when you sit down. And the number of people who would comment on my socks was ridiculous. Like, oh, <laughs> I, I see you're a wild man because your socks are non-standard. And I'd be thinking, <laughs> really? Is that all it takes to be a wild man? <laughs> I, I, my socks. Yeah, it was just the smallest piece of rebellion. I, otherwise, the, the the other thing I did is when I was in my 20s, especially, I would usually, of course, take the jacket off at work, but I'd roll up my sleeves because hmm. it was just, just a little bit of informality while maintaining a, a good line. You know, you still hmm. look good with your sleeves rolled up. And if you have, if you've been working out, you know, your, your body is anywhere in the, you know, the acceptable range. It just looks, makes you look a little sporty. It tells people that you're, 
you know how to dress, but you're not taking it too seriously. It was, for me, it was just the right message for my personality. Did you wear suspenders? No, I can never go that far. You know, I, what about I, vests? I did, yeah. Early when, when vests were more of a thing, I, I did rock the vest, yeah. I didn't like it because that, that was that extra level of constriction. It was like a corset or something. It was terrible. <laughs> you know, it's funny because I love the vest without the jacket. I, I almost never wear a jacket, but if I go out and I'm wearing a button-up, I almost always wear a vest. You know, vest, that, that's a statement. Mm. Yeah, if you see somebody with a, a vest and no jacket, they're, they're trying to be fashionable. Like to me, it says, oh, there's somebody who, who thought to themselves, what can I do that looks a little special and extra? And uh, I, I have mixed feelings about that. Now, if you pull it off, mm. I say, good for you. But if you, if you fall short, you're, you're trying to go for the extra and it doesn't quite work for you, then that's, that's bad. So it's a little bit of a high risk, high reward situation. Yeah. It's a hard fail if you, if you don't make it. It's a hard fail. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure I've had a few hard fashion fails in my day. Yeah. Pr probably not nearly as many as I have. I think I've, I've got the record there. Jay's never had any, but you know, no, no, we always look funny when we look back and uh, there, yeah. there's always something that I, did I really do that? You know, there's, there's this thing called Piti Umo, where um, it's kind of like the CES convention of suits, where everybody shows up wearing suits. So it's usually like custom clothiers or tailors, they would go uh, to this exhibition, this fair in Florence, Italy, and um, everybody would kind of compete to dress as, um, I wouldn't say even flashy, but as nice as possible, so they get photographed. So all the press goes there, GQ, Esquire, all the media. So... I forgot what I was uh, going to make a point yeah, so, about. So but... <laughs> yes, peacocking. <laughs> so um, peacocking is a, is a term for when, you know, so it's obvious that that person wants to be photographed so badly. And um, I remember when I, when I first went to pity, I had the same thing, right? I wanted to be photographed. So first pity, I would, I would have, I, I wouldn't have the courage to look at what I was wearing on the first pity. Of course, you didn't know the rules. You didn't know yeah. the, you know, you, I was wearing a green suit with white pants and white shirt. And like some, some, somebody mocked me, but I was like, no, this is pity. This is how we're supposed to dress. We just, you know, let be free. And then, you know, second, third, fourth time, you end up wearing something somber and then mocking everybody else who was becoming a peacock. <laughs> You got a peacock your first time? Yeah, everybody is a peacock the first time. You know, it's, it's, it's funny you use the, the peacock analogy because it, isn't everything you wear some expression of your mating signaling? I mean, yeah. isn't fashion, you know, beyond keeping you decent and warm, it's really nothing except signaling for mating, right? I'm pretty sure everything men do is about getting laid in some way. Right. <laughs> fashion or not. <laughs> <laughs> now for women it's different though right like women wear makeup not for men in particular it's yeah, usually sometimes for other women oh you know but that's certainly what they say and you could even believe that they believe it but on the on the basic biological level it's all signaling isn't it yeah just signaling to the I, other side. i hope <laughs> <laughs> 
you know, I, I think about uh, Dilbert a lot. And like, like I said, I've been a fan since, since high school. I can remember geeking out. I had the books when you would release the, uh, the collection books. I had a bunch of those. And uh, all my other nerd friends had them. And you know, it was like Dilbert, Star Trek, and like the sci-fi channel on weekends. That was like pretty much my life. And all the way through. Pretty good life. Pretty good life. I, sounds like you had that nailed. <laughs> wasn't getting laid much i didn't have that signaling thing down until like, late, much later <laughs> but um you know i think about like how dilbert we said he always wore the same thing and you know it i think it probably was until like the 2000s where people started to talk about you know decision fatigue and you know the uniform of a of a taxi and i was in the tech space i worked uh, i had a startup in 98 you know, I worked for a, uh, an Amazon-backed company in uh, 1999 until 01. And, you know, there was a lot of talk like that. People were like, oh, you got to, like, you have to look the part. Tech CEO, you can't be formal. You have to be, like, the right balance. And you wear the same thing over and over. People understand that you, you don't care about how you look, that you just want to work. And, you know, now, obviously, uh, Zox has uh, made it like a big thing with the T-shirt and the hoodie. But Dilbert was doing that since the beginning. And I, I don't know if, like, did you have Steve Jobs in mind when he came up with the idea of the monolithic, like, the, the same outfit over and over? Or did, like, Zox and all them, did they just rip it off from Dilbert? And uh, it's more of a licensing decision. Because if you start a cartoon, you need to have a the standard look every time. You know, just, just so I think Bart Simpson, Charlie Brown, I, they never changed clothes. Yeah, that's just so when you license them, everybody knows who they are. So really, it was, it was just down to that. But to your point, you know, uh, so Steve Jobs, of course, famously wearing the black turtlenecks and, and nothing else. Uh, I do a variation of that myself. So if you were to look in my closet, you would find only colors that can go together. Mm-hmm. So I've got you know my blues and greens and uh, you know. My uh, yeah, blues, greens, grays, and blacks, basically. And your pink socks. And, uh, yeah, yeah my, <laughs> my socks are a little more interesting. But everything will go with everything. So I, ju- I, I just do them in order. It's like, uh, shirt on the left. It's yeah. time. That's it. And it just kind of happened that the tech industry grew into that. So like so Dilbert, he's not a tech entrepreneur. He's an, he's an engineer. But I think engineers are a big part of that lifestyle. Yeah, well, don't you think if you put engineers and fashion together, as, as you're doing even at this moment, that eventually it's going to trend toward what makes sense? <laughs> I mean, that's, that, that's the natural arc of it. Engineer plus fashion, soon fashion will start making sense. You know, yeah. It will be more functional. Because e- even if it's signaling, hmm. it should signal more effectively if you yeah. get enough engineers in there saying, okay, we tested this A-B one. Test Let's do a little, little A-B testing, right? So, so you should have ultimately engineer in the long term, engineers should have the most effective wardrobe, but I haven't seen that happen yet. So in my design studio, I actually keep an engineering journal for all my design work. And Jay, Jay's seen some of the stuff I make, and uh, it's, it's definitely function over form sometimes. <laughs> yeah, I wonder why somebody hasn't uh, succeeded in redesigning our clothing for you know, 2020 and beyond, because mostly what I need my clothes for is to, besides keeping warm and decent, is to hold my phone. And if you noticed, I, I don't know if you, if, if there's a, a woman in your life who's wearing uh, the, what do you call them, the yoga pants and stuff, and they come without pockets. 
So, so if I want to, you know, call somebody who's at home and is female, the odds that their phone is with them goes way down. Like yeah. I, I've got a pocket, so my phone's with me all the time, right? If you call me, I'm going to answer on the first ring. But you call a woman, the fashion has let them down. It took their pockets away when they needed the most of their phone. So it's actually a functional problem at this point that fashion is causing. So my wife, who actually, uh, we, we have the design studio together. When she makes pants or skirts, she puts oversized pocket bags in them because women's pocket bags are generally too small to hold a phone. Right. Right. Yeah. It's just that, that small change and you know, what part of your body to hold it on and you know, all that. However, so, with the yoga yeah. pants, I, I believe that not having the pockets is functional because you, you definitely wouldn't be signaling properly if you had a big uh, silhouette of a square thing somewhere in your, uh, on your, on that tight fitting pant, <laughs> especially, yeah. you know, I, I don't want to say it, but here in Thailand, you have to, you have to be able to have unobstructed views of that area to, to make a, to make sure that she's yeah, to make sure you're, you're reading the right signals. <laughs> it's sort of, sort of a more of a Thailand problem, I'm sure, but <laughs> it's only a problem for global. some of us. It's getting, yeah, it's, I, getting, it's getting global. So, so I, I spend a tremendous amount of time in trying to figure out the better place to hold my phone because I'm a front left pocket guy. Oh, and, and, and part of that is that before I leave the house, I always, I, I've developed a habit, which is I touch my left front pocket for my mm. phone and my right, my right back pocket for my uh, wallet. Mm. And if I've got that, then I tap the front right pocket for my car keys and I'm good to go. So, so it's basically a, a three-tap process to walk out the door. Uh, but, but I always thought, is there some better place to keep your phone, maybe on a shirt pocket? Because I, I don't like it on the chest pocket. That would mm. be too much i almost think there should be like you know uh behind your neck or something <laughs> where it's it's like above the chair line so you're not you know laying on it but you you know you, you it rings and you it's like an uh, arrow and a quiver you just go, <laughs> you know it's got to be something like that like a samurai pulling the sword out yeah exactly yeah, yeah or, may, or maybe it should be like a uh, a uh, magnetized plate on the back of your shoulder so you just go pick it off the plate Okay, there was a, a tech CEO who developed a, a whole line of clothing that had like integrations for phones and iPads and stuff. And it, it was one incredibly ugly. And two, I can't imagine carrying a laptop and iPad, a phone, headphones and all this <laughs> stuff wired into the clothing, you know, just to carry it. You know, I'm a, I'm a front right pocket guy from my, from my phone, front left from my wallet. And then that's it. That's all I carry. Wait, you carry your wallet in your front pocket? Yeah. Well, that's just crazy talk. <laughs> doesn't, that, doesn't that give you a, uh, a worse uh, line than carrying it in your back pocket? I don't like to, I don't like to sit on it. And I can, if it's in my front pocket, I know that because I take public transportation everywhere. I don't drive. So I know if I'm on the train, no one's gonna, going into my front pocket. And I, all my pants I have, I make with a uh, frog mouth pocket. So like jean pocket. So it's a five pocket configuration. Okay. So I've got my coin pocket because in Thailand coins are, are still a big thing. You know, yeah. there's a, it's a considerably large percentage of the currency. And so I always have to have some coins and, and I always get some coins back for change because it's still a cash economy. And so phone front, right pocket, you know, wallet front left and good to go. All right. That sounds very, very efficient. <laughs> <laughs>
And if I'm on the train, I don't have to worry about someone. Uh, I've had four or five friends who've been pickpocketed on the train, and I never have. Wow. I always wanted to be pickpocketed just to see if I could catch them. You know, <laughs> because, you know, you always see on TV, the, uh, the I'm sure it doesn't happen this way in, in real life, but somebody bumps into you and you think, oh, I accidentally bumped into them. But, you know, if I accidentally bump into anybody, I'm like immediately checking my pockets. It's like, ah, yeah. I've seen this on TV. I know how this goes. So Dilbert had a show for a while, right? Yeah, for two half seasons, two half seasons. Uh, in 2001-ish. Uh, and uh, it was on the UPN network, mm-hmm. which changed its focus to become a, an African-American-centric uh, network. For a while, they, that was their, their plan. So I didn't fit in there after they made that change, and we, we didn't last. You know, I, I will say that uh, Dogbert, the character Dogbert, is a, is a big sort of inspiration for the name of this show, The Dapper Villains. And he was always uh, my favorite character in Dilbert. Um, Dogbert's his pet that is just diabolical, you know, criminal mastermind in many ways. I, I, I read into uh, the Dogbert character my own dark side. So, mm-hmm. so you'd have to sort of add Dilbert and Dogbert together to get me, you know, because <laughs> Dilbert's sort of a, you know, the, the socially awkward part of my geeky side. And plus my experience in corporate America. And then Dogbert is the stuff that I think, but I, I couldn't say out loud, you know, because <laughs> he's, he's scheming to conquer the world and yeah. get over on people and stuff. And I don't do those things, but I think about them. So he's, he's my dark, dark personality. Everybody yeah, wants to rule the world. I love that character, man. Dogbert, I mean, it, it, in, for a while in, uh, in high school, we would joke about like, oh, we should start a Dogbert religion and worship Dogbert. And, you know. I think that was a fine idea. You should not have abandoned that. That was your best idea ever. <laughs> best idea. That was my unicorn. We would have a Dogbert temple in Thailand and you would have been running the cult here. You could have yeah. been his agent. But instead, you went with that with that five pocket thing, and <laughs> Dogbert's against pants. <laughs> yeah, he's very anti-pants. I, I've I've drawn him wearing pants, and it's actually pretty funny. You know, I I think of the way that you know some of the outfits, especially pre-casual uh, dorky or dorky casual. There was, a, you know, the, the boss was, there's a few times where they make reference to the boss's cheap polyester suit. And, uh, you know, he's, uh, he's, he's been buying his clothes from the polyester mafia. <laughs> so some of that's, uh, that's based on my own experience. When I graduated from a high school and uh, I actually graduated from college in 79, I traded my car for a one-way ticket to California. Mm-hmm. And a graduation present was... Uh, you know, I think I had a thousand dollars in cash to rest, last me the rest of my life and uh, a suit from Sears. So my parents bought me uh, a polyester suit, three piece suit. Wrinkle it was free. literally, it was literally the least expensive suit that anybody could buy. My parents were like, why would you pay more if there's, you know, the inexpensive one? I mean, oh. So they got me the cheapest suit you could get. And uh, I, I, I sold my car for a one way ticket to California and I got on the plane wearing my suit because at the time I'd never owned a suit. I'd never owned one. And yeah. I didn't know how do you fold a suit and put it in a suitcase and wouldn't it be better if I just wear it on the plane, you know, and I'll look like a professional and stuff. I ended up wearing it on the plane to, and to your point, 
to the importance of dressing correctly, I ended up coincidentally sitting next to a CEO of a manufacturing company. They made bolts. And he strikes up a conversation with me because I was sort of an odd duck. You know, I'm 21 years old wearing a three-piece polyester suit on the airplane like nobody else was. <laughs> so he's curious about me. He starts talking. And you know, we sort of hit it off, and he's giving me his, his wisdom and stuff. By the end of the plane ride, um, he had given me his business card and basically offered me a job. Wow. So by, by simply wearing, by dressing, by dressing above my station, I got a job offer just being on an airplane. And, and if you don't think that the way I dressed made that happen, I would suggest it probably did. Mm. I think if I'd been in jeans, I would not have gotten a job offer. Now I didn't take that job. I got, you know, had something lined up. But that tells you the power of clothing. I mean, you know, it was a cheap polyester suit, but the fact that I was wearing it at all set me apart. You know, it set me apart for the wrong. Oh, I got to tell you my best bad dress story. You want to hear this? Okay. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It was my senior year of college in Oneonta, New York at Hartwick College. And I got a job interview uh, at a top eight accounting firm that was a, maybe an hour drive away. And it was the middle of the winter. And um, I didn't own any kind of a suit. And I thought, well, they know I'm a student because that was the whole deal. You're still in college. We're going to talk to you about after college. Mm. So I thought, if they know I'm a student, then they should also understand that I dress like a student. So I'm going to show up like a student. So I get in my car, uh, and I had this undependable car, Datsun 510, drive it to Syracuse, do my interview. I walk in for the interview. And the, this executive walks in to interview me. It's just me looking like a student. And he walks in, he takes one look at me, he goes, I don't think you know why you're here. And I said, what? He said, you're not dressed for an interview. And I said, well, you know, I'm a student. Of course, I'd be dressed if I got the job. And, and he actually dismissed me. He sent me home. Wow. <laughs> so my, my interview with the top eight company was you're not dressed enough even to talk to you. And wow. he sent me home. Now, as he sent me home, my car broke down and I didn't bring a jacket. And it was February in the middle of the winter. And it was the temperature started dropping. Yeah. So you know what that temperature is like. Yeah. So and it happened to be a new road in which there was no other traffic. It was just brand new road. It opened. It's not really a populated place. So I, I couldn't stay in my car because I was going to die of exposure no jacket. And it's like coming down to zero. And I thought, well, I can't get out of my car and, and go back the way I came because I know how far that was to the next civilization. It was too mm. far. But I don't know what's ahead of me, what's over the hill. So I thought my one chance for survival is to leave my car and run for it to see if I can get to like a, a house or something before I actually die of exposure. This is, again, it's about zero and it's night and it's winter and I don't have a coat. So I started running and I realized I'm not sure I'm going to make it because I couldn't see any civilization and I started slowing down because I'm not like a distance runner. Plus it was so cold that my limbs were freezing and like my ankles weren't like bending anymore. I was just sort of like two poles. <laughs> and uh, when, I, when I'm about ready to think, you know, I think I'm just going to die here. I made a promise to myself, which is that if I lived, I would sell my car for the one-way ticket to California. And shoe salesman in a Woody station wagon finally came by, <laughs> saved my life, 
deposited me back on campus. And a few months later, I sold my car for a one-way ticket to California. Haven't seen a snowflake since, well, once, I guess. Yeah, so that's, guess. That's, that, that's what happens when you wear the wrong clothes. You end up in California. <laughs> you, you know, it, it's funny because you could think by a, lot of to, by a lot of, you know, accounts, if you wore a suit to an interview today at like a tech company in the Valley, you know, not far from where you live outside San Francisco, they might turn you away for the same reason. You know, they might. But as you're, as you're saying that, I was thinking to myself, I might play it that way anyway. Mm. Because everybody knows you can wear casual clothes, mm. but not everybody knows you can look good in a suit. Mm. So you know, we, we, we may have gone so far that the person who shows up in the suit is the one they remember. You know, if, if, the, if the trick is standing out and mm. having a little bit of edge of something, I would like to know, oh, here's somebody who can dress two different ways and they can make it work. This is maybe future executive. So I don't know. It could go either way, depending on who you're talking to. I would agree with you that we have gone maybe too far in the casual direction. And that's why there is this move back to, to dapper, this move back to a well-dressed gentleman it, for a lot of people. And I, I think it is kind of a revolt against the, the T-shirt and flip-flops to the office culture. Yeah, there's always going to be somebody who says, I think I'll take a little advantage because everybody else is dressing down. Hmm. So it's just that much easier for me to signal if that's what you want to do. You know, I, I'm a big proponent of looking for your advantage. And, you know, a guy like me, I just, I don't know, I don't have a body that holds clothing well, if you know what I mean. There, there are certain body types that are just always going to be just perfect for it. Yeah, but oh, you need I, a custom suit. Yeah, you need a that's good tailor. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, you know, you're right. That, Come that's to Bangkok. Exactly we'll we'll take I mean. care of you. <laughs> You'll get a good polyester suit. Yeah. I need to rock that polyester again. It's been too long. <laughs> Who knows? You might sit next to someone uh, interesting on the plane again with that polyester suit you make in Bangkok. <laughs> yeah. when, when you consider how important the visual part of our brain is, uh, yeah. there, there's really no excuse for dressing poorly if you're trying to succeed in any way, either succeed mm. socially or succeed economically. And I say that harshly criticizing myself because I don't put nearly enough effort into mm. what I should, but I also think I'm not good at it. So I need help. Well, I, you know, again, that's what a, a good tailor's for too, is, you know, they, uh, one of the things like if you've never had a suit cut for you or even a jacket just cut for you, you know, the way they read your body, and take, you know, this two-dimensional fabric and wrap it around and give shape to a three-dimensional body it is really art, artful. Now, have you, have you tried any of the apps that uh, pretend to measure you at home and so that you can order the clothes that it, fit? Jay has a hot take on this. I'll let him talk. <laughs> All right. I actually own four apps on the iOS store and uh but the app was uh purely for measuring because uh, for for noting down measurements um instead of actually measuring because that uh. existed when I was there but um it is so cheesy and it doesn't work and uh it it ruins the cuz cuz it's not just about saving the data but it's mm. also about the the eye of the clothier to see the allowance or what fits you better and that advice and that interview is so important when when somebody is making you a custom clothes uh custom suit they have to talk to you and know what you like 
mm. know you know how you what you do in your life and stuff what, and what, and that's what sorry. if it's just a um, you know pants and shirt let's say it's not a suit it's just you just want something nice for going out would the, the apps same. be okay for that not, people not wear so people wear things so differently mm. and uh, you do need an eye of someone who makes suits on a regular basis to to kind of bounce the idea with like hey i you know i i wear these type of shoes so the bottom is already going to be different hmm. i i'm going to tell you my best social media uh, idea uh, i'll give it away to you because i'm not going to do it i would love to be able to go on in some kind of a website where i could find people who look like me and then watch what they're and, and watch their clothing because you know, for every person in the world, there's X number of people who look just like them. Mm. Yeah. Some are. So I want to find the people who are, you know, my height, dimensions, age, you know, everything from my coloring, et cetera. And, and then look at their, what they're wearing, see some full length pictures. Cause if I find somebody who looks just like me and they've got a good shirt, I'm going to click that. If they got a, <laughs> you know, if, if, if they've yeah, got you're- Amazon affiliate link. I'm going to yeah. buy that shirt because I don't yeah. know this person. It's there's somebody who looks like me in Toledo, Ohio. That would be a much smarter way to advertise than you know. You, you wouldn't want to. You wouldn't see yourself uh, if it's a Brad Pitt, but you would see what you would wear. I mean, yeah. I'm not saying you don't look like Brad Pitt, but well, I do a little. <laughs> I do a little. If anybody's listening and not watching, it's we're all we all look like uncanny. Brad Pitt here. Uncanny. If, yeah. if you're. Yeah. <laughs> Free Brad Pitt. <laughs> yeah. You know, I get to, I, I, I've worked in the, the tech entrepreneur space quite a bit, you know, since leaving my job as an engineer. And I was telling Jay about this, maybe like a year ago, I got invited to a demo of a guy who said he had an app that could take a photo of me, tell my measurements. And then Jay, you remember this? I was telling you about it and then it will yeah. cut the t-shirt and sew it with a uh, an interlock seam to my width and so mm-hmm. he tried to photograph me like four times and he's like are you too big for my app to work it, it's not going to work <laughs> it keeps saying uh it keeps giving the wrong measurement <laughs> i'm like well it clearly doesn't work if it can't measure me he's like oh, you're too big it's not made for oversized people and so you're, then he, you're not he, exactly you're not exactly oversized um, well, see me on yeah, camera. Yeah, I'm, I'm seeing him. Yeah, yeah I'm pretty big. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like six we, we stood next to our Asian tailor. I'm, yeah. I'm pretty big as well. And uh, we look like the number zero. And uh, zero, she was zero. in the middle. So it was like zero dot zero. <laughs> <laughs> and she's tiny. She's like four feet tall. Uh, it was so yeah. cute. And we both hugged her. And uh, yeah. yeah, she's not around anymore. She's flat. <laughs> <laughs> But he finally got this to measure someone. And then so he puts the T-shirt template in the machine and it gets about maybe uh, 10 centimeters of stitching in. It just starts to eat the shirt. <laughs> I'm like, this is the worst demo ever. And as a, as a tech entrepreneur, I've had bad demos where like nothing worked. It, but it's never been this bad. You just destroyed a shirt. <laughs> but you know, when, when I had the app, every time someone cool, I was like showing the app the app would somehow, you know, there would be some kind of crashing, some, you know, Murphy's and, and like when I'm alone and it's like, holy shit, why is this working now? That's it, the, it's a universal law of, uh, of demos. So I've, I've been involved with, you know, a number of startups and whenever I try it, it never works. 
like even my own startup, they, they would thoroughly test everything. I'll say, all right, let me try it. I hit one button. It would be the one thing they didn't test. Like I, I would hit that every time, every time. <laughs> oh, that's, not, that's, an un, that's an unlocked feature right now. <laughs> yeah, and his skill of finding the only thing that didn't work. So it's not a very <laughs> useful skill. It's a great skill to have in the, uh, in the tech space. Yeah. You know, for sure. So if you love working with stars, you must be very adventurous in, in ideas and like you don't mind failing. You don't mind um, losing sometimes. No, I, I, I wrote a book called How to Fail at Almost Everything and Still Win Big. Yeah. And in it, I, I counted up the number of failures I've had just in the business realm. Forget about my personal life. That's a whole new list. But um, my count is 10 to 1. So I fail 10 times for every one that, that wins. But I also pick the kinds of things that if any one of them wins, it becomes Dilbert or it becomes a best-selling book or something. So I tend to uh, do high-risk, high-reward things that won't kill me if they don't work. Mm. So I, I don't become bankrupt. I don't go to jail. Mm. It just didn't work. So I try something else. So 10 to 1. So I tried about 30 things and about three of them were spectacular. What is the thing you have tried hardest and uh, it hurt you the most? Like emotionally? Oh, emotionally? I'm never hurt by anything emotionally that doesn't work. I'm almost invulnerable to that because I failed so many times at so many things. Mm. You just get used to it. It's like any skill. You could, you could practice failing. <laughs> yeah. But I try to fail forward, meaning I pick up a skill, meet some people, learn some things, see the world differently, that sort of thing. So I always try to make sure that I, I come out ahead. But about 30, 30 to 3, that was my ratio. 30 so, to 3. So 30 fail, 3 win. Yeah, roughly not speaking. Bad. Yeah. Not a bad thing. That's the, my mother. Um, and, and, and the three that the three that have worked have all been, you know, multi-million dollar things. So at the moment I'm I'm moving a lot of my content over to locals, a new mm. new site. Um, and it's a new thing I'm trying, and this seems to be another thing that's working well after my last 10 things, again, didn't work. So the consistency of the one in 10, I don't know, maybe it's, it could depend on the person and what things they're trying, but it's really consistent, something like one in 10. But I can chew through five ideas you know, in a month because you, you can try them a little bit, mm. you put them out there, you, know, you, you see if you can take it to the next level, you try to write a page, you, you know, try to start a website. There are a lot of things that you can, you can push on at the same time. So if, if it sounds like trying 10 things takes 10 years, then maybe you're doing it wrong. You know, think mm -hmm. in terms of you could try five things in a year pretty easily. At the end of two years, you probably have something. Mm. And sometimes the 27 things that did not work out after a while, after failing at other 27 times, 27 times, 27, something will come back and let you patch that thing that you failed and make it work all of a sudden. A lot of it is timing. You know, timing is everything. In fact, uh, that that exact thing just happened. I'd started a comic uh, four or five years ago. I tried to start a second comic. It was just robots reading the news, and the, the picture would never change. I would just change the words. That was part of the joke. And uh, it didn't work. You know, I launched it just on Twitter to see what people liked. Some people loved it. Other people didn't. It was just, eh. But then when I moved to Locals, and it was a subscription site. I said, oh, I'll try it again. And I found that if I made it mock CNN, it immediately worked. <laughs> All I'd have to do is take CNN's news, 
rewrite it to be the funny version you know, to, <laughs> to, to make make fun of their take on it basically yeah. and and it, immediately it was spectacular so it just blew up you know like like all kinds of popularity that it never had the first time so to your point sometimes there's the right situation and timing and, and that's everything you know if you get the timing and the luck right a bad idea will work you know, but if you have the greatest idea in the world and it's the wrong timing, there's nothing you can do. Hmm. Yeah, it's true. I mean, you talk about like uh, mocking CNN. I think it's kind of funny too, because uh, back in the last election, it, a lot of people were pegging you as a, uh, a Trump supporter when I, I thought like you were just talking about like, he's just really good at talking shit. Well, yeah, let me clarify Trump's supporter. So mostly what I talked about is, is persuasion and his yeah. negotiating and basically his tools. But I, uh, I always support the president. Hmm. So whoever the president is, doesn't matter the party, I'm always supporting. So I'm totally a supporter of Trump because he's president. Hmm. As hmm. I, I supported also Bill Clinton and you know, Obama, et cetera. Hmm. Yeah, I just, I mean, I, I just thought it was funny because it was, I don't know, maybe because, you know, in the tech, especially in the tech space, a lot of people are, are very left, you know, much like myself. And I think a lot of people in the tech space relate to Dilbert. And so maybe they, they were shocked when there's like the creator of Dilbert's uh, a MAGA hat guy. It's, it's yeah, kind of no, like I've... the way a lot of the stories came out. Well, well, first of all, I've never worn the MAGA hat, and yeah, I, I, I'm not a MAGA guy, per se. I, I'm not saying you are. I'm saying that's what yeah. came across. Yeah. So it's, it's a dangerous world because people want to put you in that little, whatever little box they've already got for you. Yeah. Get, get in your box. Get in that box. You know, you talk, like about your, a lot. you talk about your, your kind of embracing of failure, and I think, you know, that's one of the things I had to learn sort of the hard way in the, you know, especially coming through the, uh, the late 90s, early 2000s in the startup world is that you kind of have to accept that failure is a big part of the game. Right. But you're completely unafraid of it. It seems to me that Dilbert's very afraid of failure in, in a lot of ways. <laughs> well, as a character, sure. You know, I, I accentuate all of their weaknesses. That's mm -hmm. what makes it a good comic. So all the cartoon characters are stereotyped. It's the one place you can still get a, get away with stereotyping because mm. the comic works best if you know exactly who the character is. I don't have to describe it every time. It's like, oh, it's Dilbert. I know who he is. And now I just put him in a different is situation. Is there an Indian Dilbert? Uh, Ashok the intern. Ashok the intern, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's based on a guy I worked with at Pacific Bell, Ashok. Uh, he had a, a non-standard spelling for the name, which I didn't know at the time. So people always tell me I'm misspelling it, but it was actually just based on a friend of mine. And uh, yeah, he's uh, he was born in India, but he's an intern in Dilbert's office. He's um, you know, great great character. Do you think that that strip was going to be run for as long as it has when you created it? Do you know it would resonate the way it had? You know, I, I live with this dual feeling all the time, which is um, I'm always surprised I'm not more successful. <laughs> so for, for the years before Dilbert, uh, I would wake up every morning and I would say, I'm still not successful and famous. Huh? What's up with that? And I'd go to my mailbox and I'd be like, 
again, nothing in the mail that's going to change my life. So I would walk around in a perpetual state of wondering why it hadn't already worked out until it did. And then it worked out. And I was like, ah, okay, here we go. Took longer than I thought, but now we're working. Everything's working out. So I always expect things to work amazingly for me. Hmm. And no matter how well they work, I'm still walking around saying, is this it? Because I kind of thought I'd be a billionaire by now. Hmm. So I'm only a millionaire? Seriously? So uh, there's something about my personality that's deeply broken that I, I can't enjoy whatever I have. I'm, I'm only obsessed about what's the next thing I can take this to. And it's not even about the money. Mm. It's totally not the money, you know, beyond sufficiency. It's just I'm ambitious by nature. I can't turn it off. Just hungry. I'm hungry. Born hungry. Nice. Well, Scott, we have uh, 10 questions that we like to ask our guests. Just throw them out there. Right. And, uh, you know, related to menswear, related to, to fashion, which, as you said, you know, no one knows less about than you. So we're excited to get your, your take on it. Perfect. And uh, so we'll start off here. And we talk a lot about fabrics. And, you know, especially in Jay's sartorial world, everyone's about the super, you know, 80s, you know, fi super fine twist wools and, and all those things. But, you know, or the polyester, depending on which clients he's talking to. <laughs> Pure polyester, 100%. Uh, you know, heat press, non-woven. Um, <laughs> you know, if you could only use Whatever one you want, I got it. Yeah. I, I sure got it. Yeah. <laughs> if you could only use one fabric for the rest of your life, linen, wool, or cotton, which one would it be and why? Well, I'm, I'm a big believer in not ironing. So if I could find a nice, can I, can I pick a blend or no? no we, we just want a straight fabric. No blends allowed. Yeah. Damn it. Straight fabric. I'm going to go with cotton. Okay. Give me cotton for that feel and I'll, I'll live with the wrinkles if I have to. Not bad, man. So, Jay, what, what cotton would get him the close, 100% cotton weave would get him the closest to wrinkle free? Closest to wrinkle free, uh, a thicker one. Something thicker, something, a bit something thicker. But that would also, yeah. But that would also mean that, you know, um, you lose that flowiness. Yeah. So there's a compromise when you don't want to do wrinkles and cotton. Well, we can put a man on the moon, but we can't. <laughs> we can't make a cotton shirt. I don't have to iron. Really. Oh, uh, you, you'll get tons of ads. Now that you said this, uh, there, there are tons of companies that sell that. Right. So now in your LinkedIn inbox, you'll be getting a lot of free shirt offers okay. <laughs> that are wrinkle free, hundred percent con. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I think that, um, or you could embrace the wrinkly look and just go super sheer thin cotton. That's always wrinkled looking. Yeah. Yeah. That's the other way to go. It's like my house, uh, my walls are, uh, what do they call it? Imperfect or something. Yeah. So I, I can break my house in a variety of ways and people just think it's part of the plan. <laughs> Perfect. Same thing with the wrinkly shirt. <laughs> I remember a, um, a Dilbert comic strip that, uh, he, he went somewhere for a meeting. He had to travel and fly and he's, he's sitting in the meeting room and his shirt's just a big wrinkle ball. He's like, it said wrinkled free on the package. And someone looks at him and they said, the package? 
<laughs> I, I didn't remember that joke, but it made me laugh. <laughs> this cartoon look of disgust, the package. <laughs> so yeah, that that that's that's me traveling and uh, and and opening in my suitcase and not having enough time to iron and thinking, oh no, I'm gonna have to show up looking like this. Yeah, embrace it or you could just wear jersey fabric that doesn't wrinkle very much right i don't even know what that is what's jersey fabric uh, you're probably are you wearing I a button-up or a polo uh, I, i'm sorry what are you wearing a button-up or a polo I, i've got a button-up uh and underneath a, a t-shirt oh so, so the t-shirt would be jersey okay yeah or knit it's a knit but anyway right. anyway yeah. besides that do you have a favorite menswear item You mean in terms of a brand or a specific article of clothing? A specific article. Specific article. Oh, uh, specific article. At, at any one time, I always have a favorite hoodie that I can't, I can't leave. <laughs> There's always something about the way it feels. It's just the right temperature. You know, it's the right, you know, uh, heat uh, and everything. So I would say, uh, yeah. Right now, uh, I've got Adidas uh, running, <laughs> a running thing. Yeah. that uh, fits me so perfectly. I don't want to wear anything else all day. It's just exactly the right thing. It's got a hood in case I need it. Every now and then I go outside without sunscreen. It's perfect. Throw the hood on, a little face mask action. Of course, of course. <laughs> so, Interesting. Nobody has, nobody has said a ho hoodie yet. Yeah, so. that, that's the ultimate comfort item. You know, the nice thing right? about it, yeah. You can wear a hoodie with like, you take your, your sport coat off, you throw it over the, the button up, or if you're wearing a t-shirt, same thing. Yeah. The, the, the hard part was that the, this exact same clothing, you identify it with senior citizens in the rest home, but also, you know, the cool 25-year-old who, exactly. just, who just got done running. And of course, I'm, I'm at that age where I'm like, ah. Uh, I'm not sure I'm pulling off the cool 25 year old who just got off the track. I might look a little bit more like the rest of them guy. So it's a little, yeah, I'm sort of an edge case. Did you have those chunky Velcroed up sneakers that they give out at the uh, elderly home? <laughs> no, but uh, now that you mentioned it, they sound very, very efficient. <laughs> <laughs> they sound very comfortable. <laughs> now in, Talk about the hoodie. One of the things that you commonly see paired with the hoodie is jeans. And I yeah. think all of us own paired. I'm wearing jeans now, jean shorts, actually. I always wear shorts because it's so hot here. But do you think it's ever okay, like when you see people on the street or out somewhere wearing denim on denim on denim on denim, they got the jeans, the <laughs> denim shirt, the denim jacket, the denim hat, denim socks, and denim shoes? Uh, I, I once said that uh, I would break up with a girlfriend if she wore a denim skirt and uh, like <laughs> there, there's literally nothing less flattering than a denim skirt on a woman. And a woman could be like a beautiful woman. You put that denim skirt on, you're like, ah, you just ruined the whole thing there with that denim skirt. But there's probably nothing worse than denim on the top and the bottom at the same time. Uh, that's, that just drives me nuts. The, the, the old <laughs> denim look. Uh, I've kind of, I'm running from that model. So at the moment, I own one pair of what you would call blue jeans that I don't really wear, but they're there if I need them. 
and everything else is some kind of pants. That I don't know what names you put on, but they're they're not blue. They're just other things. Like a chino. Chinos. Chinos. You have a lot of chinos. No, no, no chinos per se. There's some kind of material that's a little stretchy and it's like really comfortable. And I don't know mm. exactly what it is. It's not, I don't know, stretchy jean material, but different colors. Oh, okay. Like a, like a spandex infused uh, polyester blend wool. It feels like that. I don't know how they accomplished this amazingness, but I like it. And I'm all about the stretch pants, especially as I get up there in age. <laughs> the stretchier hey, the during better. These, uh, during these uh, lockdown times, yeah, everything has to be stretchy. <laughs> now, now, speak, speak, speaking of age, um, when you reach a certain age, and maybe it's around 40, everybody stops making clothes that look good. Like they don't even try. Now the exception would be the formal stuff. So of course mm. the suits look good. But if you're a 40 year old and you want a good casual look that looks great, there's no store in my area that will sell that. So mm. I'd, I'd have to like find it online or something. So you see somebody, uh, I remember going uh, a meeting in Hollywood and I had a lunch with a famous director. I, I won't mention his name, but you know, a name brand director. And he looks at my shirt and he's like, where'd you get that shirt? And we, we talked forever about how hard it is to find just a nice shirt. Hmm. That's it. Just find a nice shirt. And this is guy in LA, you know, rich director. And he doesn't know where he would find a nice shirt hmm. for a guy who's over 40. It actually is almost impossible. It, it is tough. And I know a few guys who, uh, they, they never, I'm 41. Or as my, my wife likes to round up, I'm 42, even though it's not till <laughs> the end of the year. Um, but I know a couple guys who are my age who kind of never let go of that, that hip hop style from when we were in, in the nineties <laughs> and nothing looks worse than a 40 year old dude who's dressing like he did when he was 20, you know, with, with a big like fubu shirt and an over oversized yeah. jeans. <laughs> like and, even hip hop moved on already. Like this guy yeah. still stuck in that. The genre moved on. You need to as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Leave your genre. My my pet peeve is the backward baseball cap on a oh. on a guy who's over forty. Uh, that one makes me crazy. Well, what, George George Collin did a whole rant about uh, guys with baseball hat uh, backwards. I think the exception is when you're over sixty five, and then you just start turning the hat to block the sun, whichever direction it's coming from. That is. Oh, 100% I'm already doing acceptable. that. I'm already doing that. <laughs> <laughs> I got like a 15 degrees. <laughs> yep. Yep. I do that every day when I'm in the backyard with my dog. I'm like, all right, I'm going to move this about 20 degrees to the left. Ah, there we go. Lambasting <laughs> all those young kids. <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm brown. I'm embracing the sun. It's all right. <laughs> <laughs> you got melanin. You can go outside here. I, I have to wait. I, I've got like small windows of time where I can leave the house because it's too bright. Uh, I get all the vitamin D I need just from one exposed hand. That's, that's the <laughs> beauty of my body. Like I was every morning, like I'll be downstairs. I'll look at my watch. I have the UV index uh, on my watch. And by like 9 a.m. UV index is peaked out at 11, which is the maximum rating. I'm like, it's only going up from here. <laughs> Stay away. Don't die. Stay alive. Now, I know you're not a suit guy, but in the sartorial world, in the menswear world, we talk a lot about styles of tailoring. Mm -hmm. You know, there's the classic British. You've got guys like Jay here who he really embraces that sprezzatura Italian tailoring. 
and uh, big chunky men like me kind of prefer that, uh, that American cut. It's like a little bit looser, a little bit more forgiving on our fast food, you know, fueled frames. So I, do you have a, a favorite tailoring style? Like when you, when you do see a suit, do you, do you appreciate like a rigid British tailoring or that, that sort of effortless Italian style or like classic American polyester off the rack from Sears? I feel like you have to blend, you have to match the person and the style, right? Mm. Because, you know, the right person in a nice Italian suit is going to look perfect, but yeah. I don't think I'm that person. I'm not sure that would work for me. So it's got to be pretty individual, I would think. Mm. And also where you're going to wear it. I, I wouldn't want to be too stylish going to a meeting in America. I think mm. it would be a diversion. You know, if you, you, you want to be, you know, good or better than people in the meeting but if you go to that next level of you're already better than the people in the meeting what's going on here (laughs) it's gonna why are you in a tuxedo (laughs) in starbucks it's it's gonna start raising questions and not the kind you like (laughs) you know and i think like earlier you said wearing a suit is sort of like giving you a superpower and you know but to your point now it does have to be the right suit right because that fit when you put a suit on and the fit is perfect and it it does unlock like a certain next level of confidence yeah somebody wearing a perfectly fitted suit also looks more capable yeah so they they don't just look good they look capable so you 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 read skill as well as visually it's good yeah like jay and i could probably swap jackets where we're close enough in size, shoulder-wise, chest-wise, that, that it would work, but it wouldn't work. Yeah. yeah. Right? His yeah, would be a little too tight yeah. on me. The sleeves would be a little too short, and he'd be swimming in mine. All right. Plus, you're too hairy and sweaty. I'm, I would never let you wear my jacket. Yeah, that's true, right? You'd be like, <laughs> what is all this? did you wear a sweater? Were you wearing mohair inside my jacket? <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a favorite accessory, something that you just sort of wear like all the time, whether it be you know a ring or you throw a handkerchief in your pocket? No, I'm uh, almost entirely uh, free of accoutrements with the exception of uh, I wear the earbuds around <laughs> around the house a lot. Okay. And, and also out. So I've become more cyborg than sartorial. You know, I've got like electronics that are part of me now you know, in various ways. But uh, no, I don't have any uh, specific, like, flare piece of clothing. No, the Apple AirPod is 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 considered that. So, so the new one, the noise canceling one, or or the the first one. Uh, I've got the first ones. Yeah, and they're. I don't want to noise cancel because I feel like there might be something right? coming at me. Yeah. <laughs> Although on a plane, on a plane, it's pretty good though. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't. I have air problems, so I can't wear. I can't use the new ones with the uh, the silicone cup. I'm not supposed to put anything in my ear like that. Uh, yeah. Well, I feel sorry for you uh, in the cyborg age because the rest of us are will be evolving into the new creatures. We'll be leaving behind those people with ear problems. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll just get like the little uh, ocular implants there, so I can like just Bluetooth right to my brain. Yeah, is that what Rush Limbaugh has? He's, he's is it? That, yeah, right? he he went deaf for a while, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some kind of still some wires back there. I don't know what's going on. 
Something Actually, like I that. interviewed um one of the one of the women from who's an executive at, at Ocular in Australia, and she was telling me that it's all like um what do they call it um with the magnet plates the uh, induction, so it does induction through the skin, right? Mm. So they they insert the magnet behind your ear, and then they they've got the wire around the ocular nerve, and then the battery pack is what goes on the on the magnet. Yeah. Okay. It's a, it's a very complicated sound. I was like, wow, I didn't realize. I thought I was like, I, I was like, I told her, I was like, I literally thought people were plugging stuff into their head. She's like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> yeah, I watched too much Star Trek. I'm sorry. I thought they were Borg. Well, have you seen uh, Elon Musk's uh, company? I forget the name of it. The one where he's, they're going to be sending signals directly from and to your brain. A neural implant, and yeah. Yeah, apparently you do. They, they carve out a little piece of your skull and so that it'll lay flat where the, where the hole in your skull is. And I thought, I don't know, I'm not going to go first on that one. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to let somebody else go first on that one. Why, why is Elon Musk the only one doing crazy shit? Like if, if, if there were a hundred Elon Musk around the world, like we would be having the jet packed by now and I don't need to climb stairs. <laughs> yeah. It's, there's definitely something about his risk management or something that allows it to work. I, I think if you get that first thing to work, then you get to do other things because you see, you know, Jeff Bezos also has a, some kind of a space company as well. Yeah. So I think you got to get that first few billion and then, then people get flexible about what else you can do. A couple billion deep and you can you either go Bill Gates and you try to inoculate the whole world and cure malaria or you go Elon Musk and you launch a Tesla into space. Yeah. I mean, once you make that first big one work, you kind of have to try another one, don't you? just to see yeah. if the first one was luck. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 that was partly why I have so many failures in my life. Because when Dilbert worked out, it seemed like everything was working for a while. And I started Did you get irritated? Think, well, I, I wondered what my limit was, and I didn't know. Because I kept thinking, well, this is working out so much better than it should. What else can I do that I don't know? So I tried lots of stuff only to find out that you really have to do the right stuff. It's not, mm. you don't automatically get to succeed just because something worked last time. So before Dilbert worked, was there something else that you work harder on? Because you said it works better than it should. Um, so was there something else? Because I feel, I feel this a lot. Like whenever I do something uh, creative, you know, uh, that seems to be less appreciated than, uh, an easy shit that I did that uh, people were like, oh, bro, this is genius. But have you seen this thing that like, but then nobody <laughs> wants to talk, you know? So was there something like that with you? Well, well, there was always experimenting. So I, I tried inventing things a number of times and getting patents. I tried writing other things. Um, Dilbert was just the thing that worked, mm. you know? And who knew that that would be the thing that worked? So yeah, it was just part of the portfolio of crazy things I tried and one worked. How long until Dilbert became like a full-time thing for you? For the first six and a half years, I kept my day job. Wow. Um, I probably could have left it, you know, a little earlier, um, but I was getting so much material from my day job mm. and they didn't make me work. <laughs> and they didn't even make me work after a while. It's like, you don't even have to work. We just like that you're here because they like Dilbert. And <laughs> you know, uh, cu customers would come in to visit and, because of me and then they'd sell their stuff. So it was, I had this little, uh, you know, this good situation going on where yeah. my coworkers literally said directly, they said, you don't even have to come in. We'll do your work. 
but if we have a customer or something, do you mind coming in? Cause they'll want to meet you. And I thought, all right. So all that right. was my deal. I would just come in when, when they wanted me to Nice. in the final, that just the final year. Yeah. Not a bad just, gig. It was, it was yep. pretty good, <laughs> but, but I was even happier when it was over. I got to say. So where, where do you find the material for Dilbert now? Well, I, a lot of people send me material. That's primarily, but I, I also have several jobs, you know, and so I'm having meetings and, mm. you know, you know, the, the thing we're doing right now is the same thing that people all over in business are doing. They're doing some kind of a zoom. Yeah. So I, I'm always in business, no matter what I'm doing. I'm, yeah. you know, after this, I've got some contracts to look over. It's, it's all lawyers and contracts and meetings, no matter what your job is. Nice. So, you know, I, I know that you're, you're becoming more cyborg, so you probably don't even have like an old school mechanical or like automatic watch, but do you think a, a man's watch game should be on point? Like, like should he really be dialed in on the watch? Uh, I think watches are sort of over, it feels like. Now, I know that that would be controversial, but um, if I see somebody with an Apple watch, I do not think fashion forward. Hmm. I, I think functional, but I also want one, but I don't like how it looks. In fact, the only reason I don't own an Apple watch is that I don't, I don't like the look. It is ugly. Uh, I, I'm wearing mine right now and it is very ugly. It's square and weird and goofy, but it gives me a ton of data. Yeah. It's kind of surprising that Apple didn't do something a little more special on that, isn't it? It feels like that was their, Maybe that was after Jobs had gone, so they didn't have that extra X factor for design. Mm. It's like, yeah, let's shrink the phone down, not give it as much function, and put a strap on it. We'll slap it on the wrist. Good to go. You know, if they gave me a little more real estate, I would give them more of my arm. You know, really? Like it doesn't, it doesn't have to have one thin strap. It could have, you know, two straps or, or slap on and tear oh, off. Buttons, or... buttons. Like, I don't know why, why would you, you know, not have buttons on there? Like, like, cause that's touch screen. How, how much can you touch on that screen and do things? Well, it's got the crown, right? Yeah. But you know, watches have six buttons or three, four buttons at least, you know? Some, yeah. Um, so the the buttons can help a lot of things. I don't know why they don't do that. You have the stainless don't version, don't you, Jack? Yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah. I, I like my Apple Watch. I mean, Apple Watch was a – because, like, whenever I go have meetings with uh, military people or something like that, uh, smoke cigars, they're like, Jay, you need a Rolex. Like, you, you know, who will trust you if you don't have a watch? I'm like, well – if that's the case, then I'm never going to own a Rolex. I don't give a, I don't, I don't want to have people, you know, like uh, do business with me because I'm wearing an expensive watch. And in fact, I don't even look at things that way. Um, I have seen so many people who drive Ferraris, but bounce their fabric checks from, from, from me. You know, they don't pay my bills, but they have a Ferrari. I've seen tons of that. And uh, so I, I don't believe in the watch that way. So when Apple Watch came out, I was like, finally, this is the one thing that anybody can own. There's no judgment of wealth. Hmm. Uh, it's almost like, a, you know, this thing where, because Rolex also would, you, you would judge by models, right? Like if it's Explorer, if it's Submariner, hmm. if it's this, you know, so it's always ranked. But Apple Watch was a thing that just cleared everything and just deleted that. But then after owning four Apple watches, different versions, I started going back to the vintage ones because 
the vintage ones had stories. It, it, you know, uh, it was, um, somebody, somebody kind of tricked me to buying it, but then when I bought it and then I, I got hooked on that, I got hooked on the fact that it was dumb, hmm. but it, it would tell me time. I don't need to charge. I don't need anything else. It would just tell me time. <laughs> and that's what the purpose of the watch is and everything else I can look at on the phone anyways. Right. I, I find that I tell time by talking to my phone uh, and my, my A-L-E-X-A that I won't say out loud. So, <laughs> so when I'm sort of just living in my environment, I just talk out loud when I need to know, you know, weather and time and news and stuff like that. And then it just happens. It's like magic. Yeah. You know, it's I, I find myself asking the assistant in the phone uh, much more frequently these days than I did previously. Again, I won't I won't say her name because she'll chime in. Yeah. yeah. What do you mean, Alexa? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I forgot. You both are wearing headphones, so, so Alexa couldn't hear. <laughs> uh, it, over your career, you know, whether it was, you know, in finance, your multiple startups, writing books, doing, doing Dilbert, was there ever a style icon that you looked at and like, like they influenced your personal style? Like the way you said you, you sort of have this monochromatic, out, you know, closet that you just sort of cycle through. Was there someone who inspired that or were you inspired at different points stylistically? Well, I think I was inspired by the efficiency and the simplicity part, you know, just keep it simple. Everything goes together. But uh, I haven't found anybody that I could look at and say, I want to dress like that person. In fact, there's a, a, a little uh, game I play when Christina and I say we're going to a shopping mall or something. We're going to see lots of people walking around and I'll say to her, all right, Christina, find any man over, I'll say over 40 usually, find a man over 40 who's wearing any article of clothing or shoe wear, footwear, that you think I would look good in. And at the end of the day, there will be zero sightings, zero. In fact, one of the things I noticed years ago is if you go to the mall and it's all clothing stores, it's Macy's and Nordstrom and stuff, and then look at the people who are shopping. There are zero Macy's shirts, zero Nordstrom shirts, and nearly 100% of the people shopping are wearing a free t-shirt that they got at work. Mm. <laughs> That's it. Now, all these stores selling clothing, but nobody who goes to these stores is already wearing those clothing among the men. I don't know about the women. But I feel like Macy's and Nordstrom are the stores where you buy things and take them home to not wear them again. Because that's <laughs> how I use them. I would say that no more than two out of 10 items of clothing that I buy from any of those big stores I'll ever wear even once, maybe two out of 10, but they look, you know, I try them on and I think, Oh, this fits. I'll buy it. And then I get it home and then I try it on at home and it's just different. Yeah. And then you <laughs> end yeah. up wearing what you, what you like wearing every day yeah. anyways. Yeah. I just wear my top favorite things that are clean and I never, I never get down to that 15th item. So I'll literally never wear eight out of 10 things I buy. Wow. That's interesting. That's, you know, I, I think that makes a, an argument and something uh, I talk about a lot is, is having a high efficiency wardrobe, something that you can have, you know, a couple shirts, a couple slacks, a couple jackets, vests, make it all work. You know, 12 pieces, you have like 144 combinations. Right. Yeah, I, I like that. That's basically what I do. The, the poor man's version of that. You just make sure everything fits together. Yeah. 
the same color can palette. Can you imagine a can you imagine a smart wardrobe that would sort the thing that you never wore out for you when you open and that just automatic I'm sorry, I'm high. Uh, no, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> or even an app, right? An app that, you know, you you put in the data of all the clothes you have and then the app can arrange what you can wear tomorrow for you. But kind of like Spotify. But but the trouble is that my filter is I still want to wear the my favorite thing as long as it's clean. So I'm I'm always going to overrule that computer because I'll be like, yeah. ah, yeah, I know yeah, I haven't worn this. Yeah. 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 So, but yeah, good it's idea. Like, Jay, you, you said you have like uh, 50 photos in the same jacket and people were like, stop wearing that jacket. And you're like, no, it's my favorite. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, I, I famously uh, usually have one TV shirt, I call it. So if I do any TV interviews, I always wear the same shirt. And uh, th this is actually my TV shirt. So oh, I, wow. I, I, literally went in my, I literally went in my closet and I have maybe 15 shirts that are in this sort of class. Yeah. But there's one I like best and I have not worn any of the other 14 once. <laughs> Well, then no, that's your favorite menswear item. That's your yeah. favorite menswear item in a way. The TV yeah, shirt. Now, there must be a reason for that, though. Is it because, like, the color looks good on you? Is it because it's comfortable? Is it because, you know, on TV, uh, you know, why why is that the, the item, right? That would be interesting to know. Well, it, it doesn't need ironing. It fits perfectly. It's soft. It's the right color. Yeah, it's basically it just does everything. Very interesting. Nice. With, with that, you know, how formal do you think a man should be on the daily basis? Like you said, the wearing the suit got you a job offer on the plane from California, you know, and not wearing a suit got you kicked out of the interview for the number one company that you were looking at after college. Yeah. So almost killed you. Well, I think you have to call your shots, you know. Um, I mean, these days nobody sees me so I could wear my pajamas all day because of the, the shutdown. But yeah, if you're going to be where there are other people who could help your life or, or mm. date you or give you a job, yeah, you might as well have a little extra going on. So mm. I'm always in favor of a little extra. A little bit above expectations. Yeah, just stand out a little bit. That's all you need. Now, you famously said the tie on Dilbert was the, uh, the noose being held by the boss, which was then replaced with the ultimate degradation of the, uh, the lanyard and, neck and name tag. But, you know, to tie or not to tie on, uh, if you're dressing up? Well, again, that depends on context. I kind of like the no-tie look with a, a suit, depending on the situation. Uh, but, yeah, that's just a question of how formally you want to be. I wouldn't take my tie off if other people had their tie on. I think I'd use that as my standard. I think in today's world too, if no one's wearing a tie, the tie sets you apart. Yeah. And um, I don't know if it's in a good way though. The suit does, but if you're wearing, if you've got your jacket off and you just have a tie, I don't know if that's a plus hmm. in today's world. A straight cut of a uh, straight cut across the body there. Yeah. Because if you don't have the jacket on, it seems like this, the necktie is unnecessary. It feels like yeah. you just didn't bother to take it off. Mm, but if yeah. you're putting the whole package together, then people see it as the package. How about the Trump yeah. style, where you wear the tie like almost halfway down your thigh? <laughs> I've always wondered about that. I, I think it has to do with 
Uh, it makes him maybe look thinner, possibly. Because, uh. well, it, it breaks the belt line. Yeah. And I think breaking the belt line diverts your eye. So I think there's a... I think there's an optical trick there that may be what he's up to. He would he'd be better off getting some high-rise trousers and then rocking a vest to just get rid of that uh, get rid of that belt line. Yeah, every, everything about this guy is optical. Huh? That's, <laughs> it's a, you know, I, I'd said when he was when he was first yeah. running, I, I'd said he had a he had a guaranteed way to win the election in the first one, which was that uh, to shave his head, because if he had ever shaved his head. Like I think he would have, you know, won by a larger margin because it would have seemed like he, you know, controlled his vanity, mm. which is one of the things people worried about. But uh, it would just take one issue off the table, and you couldn't stop talking about it at that point. So it would have been an interesting play. You think he'll pull it off this time? Well, in terms of winning, yes. I don't think he'll have to shave his head though. <laughs> <laughs> Biden's kind of a soft target. Yeah. Yeah, Biden is uh, barely sentient at this point. The 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 fact that the, that even his supporters are saying things like in the New York Times was a story. It's like, well, even if he's in mental decline, we still like him better. And I'm thinking, when did the standard get that low? Yeah, <laughs> that that we'll take the guy who's in obvious mental decline, even by the person talking says that, and still prefers him. That's that's pretty bad. Was it the New York Times that said there have been no uh, no other allegations of sexual no allegations of sexual abuse other than the unwanted hugging, kissing, and touching previously reported? Right. Yeah, that's all it was. It was just that one. So, <laughs> you know, I guess at, at the end of the day, if uh, Trump can say grab him by the pussy, you know, who who knows? <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. The beauty was he had he had inoculated us because we knew exactly what we were getting. Yeah, and I, and I always make that comparison. The people who voted for Trump got precisely what they knew what they, they were voting yeah. for. Yeah, like he, is that the, that's the, that's, that was the one politician that gave their voter their, what they what were promised. Right, yeah. good or bad, it was exactly what what you got. Yeah. Whereas the the Biden supporters, I think that when they first started supporting him, they were not expecting that he would turn into what he is, which is, you know, the, the guy dying in his own basement right in front of us. Yeah. Like they weren't, they didn't think they were buying that, but that's what they got. It's a, it's a tough situation to be in. Yeah. Weirdly. I mean, he's yeah. just hanging out in his basement. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. He, you know, he might be enjoying it. You know, Dilbert's obviously been, your, your work has been, you know, in media in TV, you know, books every newspaper probably across america for for decades but in, in cinema are there any characters that that have just really impressed you with their style like any movie that you can think of or any any character that stood out to you well it's always james bond you know you, you can't really beat james bond for uh an older guy who still looks good in whatever he's wearing so they they probably do a better job no matter who the who's playing the part. Hmm. That's always the movie uh, standard. I can't think of anybody who would stand out movie-wise because, you know, it's uh, superheroes and vampires and stuff is what I'm watching, so I can't really dress like that. <laughs> do, you have a, do you have a favorite James Bond? Uh, I like the Diamonds Are Forever. Is and that uh, Connery? 
Sean Connery, yeah. yeah. And, and the reason was it was the first time I saw a a, a topless woman in a movie. Oh. When I was a kid, I think I was 13 or something, whatever it was. And it was, it was like it. a big That'll time for me. It. It, it left a big impression on me. As well it should. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and oddly enough, I can still remember the first time I saw a topless woman in a movie. So, yeah. Big, it was, it's a big day in the, yeah. in the life of a young teenager. Exactly. <laughs> Not for millennials anymore. They wake yeah, up. Yeah. Uh, yeah, right. They're like five years old. Yeah, naked lady. That's just mom on Instagram. <laughs> what is this Playboy magazine you're talking about? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you kids don't know before the internet. <laughs> the, yeah, that's right. This is this is what we used to call exciting. Uh, I can. I have, the internet, I have the internet, Dad. I have the internet. That's not exciting. <laughs> you know, ultimately, you know, as, as you look back on your career and you, you talk about like, you know, the, the suit flying to California, wearing it on the plane, right? Which I can imagine was super comfortable, polyester on a uh, yeah. <laughs> cross-country flight. You know, everyone should envy that. But, you know, and then the, the, it, the situation where you didn't dress well and then, you know, the, the story about the shirt sitting down at lunch in L.A. with your friend and he's like freaking out, like, you have a shirt that looks good. Like, where'd you get that? <laughs> you know, what, what are some of your, what are your, some of your, um, your fonder memories of like where fashion intersected with your life as far as work and the things you've done, startups, failures, successes? Uh, well, I would say that fashion has been a smaller part of my life than probably most people, because I'm definitely in that camp of uh, of not trying too hard unless I need to. So I can't think of a specific case where the way I dressed, be, besides the stories that I just told, so I can't. Nothing's going to come out of that. Um, but yeah, I would say that. Uh, gosh, I, I'll tell you one more story about clothing that that I think maybe pulls it together. Yeah. When I was working on the Dilbert TV uh, TV show, my co-executive director was Larry Charles. Now, Larry Charles was, first got famous as one of the original Seinfeld writers, and then he directed and wrote a number of shows from... Anyway, so he's a famous Hollywood guy, but he, he looks like Jesus. You know, he's got the, the Jesus hair and beard. But during those years, he wore only pajamas for business meetings. And he, he became some famous for the being the pajama guy. In fact, when I first heard about him, that's how he was described. It was like, all right, you know, believe me, he's really talented, but I have to tell you this, he's going to be wearing pajamas when you see him. And he'd have, you know, I think usually red converse and pajamas and then just whatever kind of sloppy top, you know, shirt that just hung well with it. And he would go to these high ranking, like producer director meetings with me, you know, as we're mm. pitching the show and stuff. And he'd walk in in pajamas. And everybody in Hollywood just said, oh, pajama guy. We're good with that. So apparently you can make, you can make anything your thing if you commit to it. So it was his level of commitment that made it work. So he broke the mold. Imagine, if you will, how many people would prefer wearing pajamas all day. Right. Me, me. Yeah. I would like to wear pajamas all day. But he found a way to actually do it in real life. The confidence. And, and turned it into a plus. So I always... I was always impressed by that. Does he still wear that to meetings? The last time I saw him, he wasn't. Okay. But, but I don't know if he ever does. How far did he get? Had he gotten from the pajamas last time you saw him? 
I believe he was wearing it or some kind of normal pants situation, but he was also in a different context. So maybe he thought he had to, I don't know. So maybe he still wears pajamas most of the time. I'd like to think he does. Do you think Dilbert has influenced fashion you know, in the workplace? Um, you know, I have a, a, some speculation that is completely unfounded, which is that when Dilbert became a, sort of a, a big deal, and you know, by the time everybody sort of had heard the word and had a, a picture in their, their mind of what he looked like, that people's men's neckties started to look like Dilbert ties. You know, you, you see like Bill Clinton at the time and yeah. you know, I, I look at his necktie and I'd say, that's Dilbert's necktie. <laughs> and, and, and I wondered if on any subconscious level, because it was so ubiquitous that people were making ties and buying ties and stocking them in stores. I wonder if there was anything that made it more likely that they would stock that style, hmm. because it does seem like after I started drawing it and the reason I drew that you know, specific, you know, broad stroke, you know, slanty style is because it was easy to draw. You know, it was just a, a big pattern and it wasn't flat pattern. So it was just mm. easier to draw. And I feel like it might've had some influence in, you know, a small way in the way, uh, you know, probably know the story that uh, it was JFK who made hats no longer a fashion statement. Yeah, simply yeah. by not wearing one, and, and that pretty much killed it. Our, one of our uh, actually our first guest, Jay Gatt, he, he talked a lot about that. That uh, he was the first president to not wear a hat at his inauguration. Yeah, and so so maybe the Dilbert tie had some crossover. No way to know, really. Yeah, I I, I mean I can see it. I also think that the um, you know the white shirt was is really a uniform for engineers. You know yeah. that that white button up and. I obviously I, I grew up I went through high school when Dilbert was still out in the nineties and so or when he came out in the nineties and you know, I remember reading it and, and just you know absorbing it. But to me, the way Dilbert dressed was the way an enge a successful engineer dressed. Even though I, I like I look at it now, like in my forties, do I see I also kind of view an engineer as like sort of a dead end job in a lot of ways. Being Boy. an engineer. It's a good job, but it doesn't go anywhere really for most engineers. And then mm. I see like, but I see Dilbert and to me, that's still like, you should look like Dilbert look like pre 2014. If you're going to be a successful engineer. It's funny. Cause I think when I think of engineers, I think of the people who have the most opportunity to start their own company. Yes. But because, that's not the, as the, an engineer, that's taking your, your experience as an engineer and becoming an entrepreneur. Right. Right. But it's a good base for an entrepreneur. Oh, absolutely. It's a fantastic base to be an entrepreneur. But to me, like I, I was a telecom engineer. And to be an engineer in a telecom is, to me, a dead-end job. Six-figure pay, for sure. It's better than working at McDonald's. But it's a, it's a dead-end job that, that will eat your soul, much in the same way I believe Dilbert's has been devoured. Yeah, th that's the problem with jobs. Yeah. <laughs> jo jobs <laughs> in general. <laughs> Indeed. Well, Scott, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us and sharing your your insights over your career in something that's kind of quirky and not in your your normal space. So inspiring. This was fun. I I like to do stuff that's uh, completely out of my comfort zone just to see how embarrassed I get. And <laughs> so far, so good. Well, thank you again very much. Uh, where can people find out 
uh, more about Dilber and your work. I know you have a, a new book. Yeah, Dilber.com for the comic. The new book is called Loser Think. Yeah. And uh, following me on Twitter gets you to pretty much everything else. So Scott Adams says on Twitter. All right. We'll have links to all that in the show notes, Scott. Thank you so thank much. You. Until all next right, time, everyone, stay dapper. Stay, stay dapper. Villainous. Stay villainous. <laughs>